It's my pleasure to have you here with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. You can follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. There are new warning signs in two of the key areas in our lives, cars and houses. Coming up in just a few minutes in today's Clark Rageous Moment, there's something you need to know where we're causing ourselves great harm when we're buying newer used automobiles. And yet later, there's a brand new report on where in America it makes sense to be a buyer of a home and where you'll actually create more wealth by being a renter. All that for you ahead on the Clark Howard Show. I want to talk right now about getting from here to there cities all over the country that never really had serious traffic congestion now face it. And you talk to people in dozens of metro areas around the United States and people talk about the traffic tie-ups and the traffic reports and all that. And it's because of our patterns of commuting in so many metro areas in the country that people are spending a lot of time sitting in traffic. And often we look at this as a very linear kind of thing. Well, what am I going to do instead? Am I going to ride some bus? Am I going to ride a train? What am I going to do? And I got to drive my car because there's no way for me to go any other way. Well, now there are companies coming up with new technology, new apps for phones that crunch in real time a trip that you're taking commuting or going to a sports event or whatever it is you're going to, and they figure out two things. One, what's the quickest way to get to where you're going? And two, what's it going to cost? And by quickest, I don't mean Google Maps or Waze giving you the quickest routing for your car. No, this is where you do all kinds of a variety of things like maybe you're in an Uber for a while, and then you're on, uh, I don't know, a bus, or you're driving your own car in combination with parking somewhere where you then use some kind of alternative method of transportation. These systems are already going into effect in some metro areas, not in the United States. We're not into this yet. But I read something in the Financial Times of London about how successful this has been in metro areas that are adopting real-time transportation apps that incorporate all different kinds of possibilities from driving your own car to riding in some kind of taxi or Uber or Lyft to riding in any kind of public transportation to walking part of it, whatever, And they use these algorithms that figure out for each trip the fastest way for you to get to where you're going. In so many places in the United States, voters are being asked to vote on taxes 
to put in some form of transit, whether it's uh, bus rapid transit or light rail or commuter trains. At the same time, multiple cities are putting in bike paths. And so how to get from A to B is a challenge that can't be met often in how we would process information in our own head from our own house to the event we're going to or the office or place we're going to work. And having the ability to look and do real-time trip planning is absolutely something that we in America are going to have to, in this case, learn from others that are doing this already. And in the most advanced forms of transportation, the app handles paying everybody. Part of the way it says you need to go in a lift car, and part of the way it says you need to go on a bus rapid transit, and then the last 500 yards you need to walk or whatever, the apps automatically pay everybody for you. They just tell you your price is going to be $4.82, and you just get on whatever the first thing is you're doing, and the app handles paying them and paying everybody. You don't have to worry about paying different organizations and think about the creativity involved in giving you a whole different way to have more time in your day instead of you sitting there stewing and steaming in traffic. Debbie is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Debbie. How's it going? It's going great. How are you, Clark? Wonderful. Thank you. Debbie, you are of a charitable mind, are you not? A little bit, yes. What's going on? Well, I have five old cell phones that I need to dispose of. I don't want to throw them away because I think somebody could have use of them, but I know there's no real value, so I don't want to sell them. But um, I'd like to donate them, but I think they may still have some personal information on them. So I want to get rid of them, but do so safely. Um, I don't know how to clear them. I don't think I have power cords or any way to find out what's on the phone to reset them or get rid of whatever information I still have on there. In that case, I wouldn't be comfortable donating an old, old phone that you don't have a way to power up and at least do a factory reset. Okay. Uh, that would that would be a risk level that I would not take. You know, okay. and I know that we could hear from security experts that would say that a factory reset is not enough even, but in most cases it will be enough unless there's stuff you've been involved in that would be really valuable espionage kind of stuff. (laughs) Um, Doing a factory reset on a phone that you can get a charge on should be enough. And what happens is if you go, like you go to Best Buy, they have a thing right where you enter where you can recycle phones. And there are a lot of things that if you go to a search engine and you uh, search how to donate cell phones, there are all these organizations that will send you an envelope and you donate. And what they do is they go to a rehabbing outfit that gets the phone back in 
uh, evaluates it. If it's in good shape, clean it up. And then depending on the level of the phone, it either is made available in this country or often sold in a third world country where having a really affordable cell phone is the only kind of cell phone someone would ever be able to have. Okay. But with old phones that you cannot uh, figure out a way to charge them and can't clear them, they're best off still gathering dust in a drawer rather than donating. So if I can factory reset them, what do you think was my best bet? Well, the easiest I... the easiest is just if you have a Best Buy near, you just drop them okay. in that recycle bin for phones. Okay. But otherwise, if you if you want it even to be easier, just just do a Google search or DuckDuckGo or whatever search engine you use, and you'll see pretty quickly who you can donate through where they'll send you an envelope and they'll pay for the postage back to get that phone and then rehab it and get it back in somebody's hands. Excellent. You know, I've been, where I've been in the, and um, well, it's not politically correct to call them third world countries anymore, but that's still what I call them. When I've been in very poor countries, there are people on the corner selling cell phones at the equivalent of just a couple of U.S. dollars to like $10 or $12. And that allows somebody who could not afford to get a phone otherwise to have one, and that's a benefit of you donating a phone. Wow. Okay. It's funny because we think about people buying a case for their phones that might be $30 or $40. And I'm talking about people getting a phone for two or three or four dollars. Completely different math. Derek is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Derek. Hi, how are you today? Great, thank you, Derek. Hope you're having a great one. Oh, it's a blessed day. Thank you. How are you? Wonderful, thanks. So, Derek, you want to talk about saving money for kids' college? Yes. I uh, took your recommendation and opened up a 529 plan, uh, went to your website and looked for my state-run uh, 529 plan. It actually rated gold on several, um, like Time Magazine actually rated gold as well. And I have a son who in 17 years will go to college, um, but my state-run 529 plan is only yielding 1.11%. And I'm wondering if I can do better saving for college through another means. I well, did use the... Well, first of um, all, you said something very concerning to me. Okay. Um, how old are your kids? Uh, I have a... Well, my other children are under another 529 plan, okay. but I have a... Most recently, I have a, an 18-month-old. Okay. So for an 18-month-old, you shouldn't be in anything that's generating a yield. You should be instead in something that's invested in stock type choices, where with a newborn, the 529 plans should overwhelmingly in the age-based portfolio should have a kid in something that is, uh, could be as much as 80% stock type choices. Right. And then you're not looking at a yield, because then you're talking more like a, a stable value or savings account type of 529. Right. Okay. And what you really need for a young child 
is you need a child to be in things that can outrun education inflation or at least keep up with education inflation. What state are you in? Uh, Illinois. Right. So in Illinois, I like the Bright Start direct sold plan. Right. But the investment choice I'm interested in is the index age-based only. So there'll be, if you look at the list of choices, there'll be one that's age-based index. So then based on the fact that you have an 18-month-old, it is the most aggressive it will be for the next 18 years. And And I should be able to trust my state, even if my state is not a (laughs) well-run state. Well, Illinois Illinois is generally a disaster. Okay. But, but, I mean, let's face it, economically, the state is run terribly. And uh, that's just a fact that I don't know how Illinois is going to meet all its obligations. But the 529 plan money is not in the coffers of the state. The state just sponsors the 529, and the money is handled by an administrator. There's a difference when a state has a prepaid tuition plan. In a prepaid tuition plan state, then you're dependent on the state actually meeting its obligations. But with an investment-based 529, like your 18-month-old is in, that's not an issue. Okay. One other question, if there's a... if, if there's no real benefit, in my opinion, for me staying in my state to invest in a 529 plan. Couldn't I invest in a, another state's 529 plan that I do feel yields a better performance and, and also... Well, well if you go... Running? if I mean, I wouldn't say dump Illinois for the 529 if you already have it set up. If you're in the low-cost age-based index funds, you're just fine in it. But if you're freaked out about all the issues involved with the state of Illinois, let your money travel and you're allowed to transfer the money out one time each 12 months. You just move your account to Utah and have it in what I think is the nation's best 529 plan. You don't have to be a resident of Utah. And I was teasing last time I talked about it and said that they give you free lift tickets to ski resorts in Utah for every account you open. Somebody thought I was serious. They don't actually do that. <laughs> so don't look for the free lift tickets. Today's Clark Rageous moment is a key warning for you. Please hear me on this. A new industry report finds that the average car loan being taken out has hit an all-time average length. And a third of car loans now are older than or longer than six years. Now... The problem with this is that you can end up upside down in your loan for the entire length of your loan. Why does that matter? Because if anything goes wrong in your life at all, with your job, with finance, with an illness, whatever, you don't have a way out from that vehicle. People are taking out these ultra-long car loans to try to make the monthly payment more affordable. But the problems are ugly because you end up taking on a higher interest rate for taking out a longer-term loan. It means with the longer-term loan also, much more of what you pay each month is going to interest instead of principal. And what a surprise, the default rates 
on auto loans are rising at astronomical increases because we're taking out these loans that don't make sense. Now, I sound so quaint, so antiquated, when I say that you should aim for a car loan term of 42 months or less. 42 months, three and a half years. And the reality is, if you can't afford the vehicle you're interested in with a loan term of three and a half years, in terms of what it means in your own life, you cannot afford that vehicle. And to let the salesperson get you into a really expensive car that puts you in a loan forever, I promise you, that is Clark Rages to your future. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas that will help you save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. It is considered to be the thing to do that when you can afford to, you buy a home. But homes go in cycles in more dramatic fashion than they used to. I mean, I'm not telling anybody something they don't know if they lived through the housing bust as a homeowner last decade. Our producer, Joel, in the midst of the housing bust, started acquiring properties and has seen as he bought each one, the recovery fully in motion. And Joel, the first house you bought, I guess it was the first one that you bought that was $88,000? So close, 89000 Sorry. And houses on that street now, that was in 2011 you bought that? That was in 2009. 2009, during the before the bust had fully run its cycle. Nine years later, houses in that neighborhood are going for hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? Most definitely. So that house that you bought for $89,000 during the bust, what could you sell it for now? Probably 325000 And so this is a pattern... Uh, and it's not that you're brilliant, although partially you had guts. A lot of luck, for sure. Well, and guts. And so these things run in cycles where today, as you go out, you have four properties now or five? Four? Four. As you go and you look, you are finding it very difficult to find deals. It's getting so much harder by by the day. And at the same time, you and I sitting here saw a dare-to-be-rich thing on TV that was playing without sound, but we knew what it was. It was somebody talking about how rich you were going to get buying real estate, speculating on real estate. Well, as we are in a cycle that has run values up to a point that a lot of people trying to be first-time homebuyers can no longer afford houses, we have actually reached a moment where in many metro areas, It now makes more financial sense, at least for now, to be a renter instead of a buyer. There's an index called the BH&J, which is done by professors at Florida Atlantic and Florida International, and they have run the numbers 
And for major metro areas in the country, they have ranked them whether or not it's better right now generally to be a renter or a buyer. Now, all these that I'm about to name, generally it's better to be a renter than a buyer because you will, if you rent and invest the rest, you will end up with far more wealth over time than buying a house and, and these are in alphabetical order, so it's not like one is more significant than the other. Atlanta, Denver, Dallas, Honolulu, Houston, Kansas City, Los Angeles, Miami, Minneapolis, Pittsburgh, Portland, San Diego, San Francisco, Seattle, and St. Louis. Now, cities where it actually makes sense to buy a home right now, Boston, Chicago, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Detroit, Milwaukee, New York and Philadelphia. What's particularly significant about that is historically New York, as an example, and Boston have both been on the list of places where it's better to rent than to buy. But based on pricing trends for what it costs to rent, pricing trends on what it costs to buy, there's been this shift. And with the massive amount of apartment construction in so many cities, especially in the South, and the West, renting has become a far more economical option to moderately more economical than buying. And again, these trends change over time. Housing has had, particularly for moderately priced housing, there has been the kind of run-up that Joel described from 88000 into the mid-threes from 09 till today and you see that in so many communities around the country that a first-time home buyer trying to get in a home either has to commute a ridiculous distance or they have to go into a challenging neighborhood or they have to have not two nickels to rub together for anything else in their lives and what they have to pay for a monthly mortgage payment and other expenses involved in owning a house. So know these things go in cycles. We're just in a cycle now in so many metro areas where buying is not only difficult, it maybe isn't even the right choice. And Joe joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Joe. Hello, yeah, thanks for taking my call. Absolutely, Joe. You're moving to Vegas. Well, thinking about moving to Vegas right now. I live in uh, Portland, and I'm thinking about moving to Vegas to uh, make it a little bit easier for my job. Well, interesting. And, and speaking of housing issues, as I just was, Las Vegas was the most flat on its back just about of any metro area in the country and has seen an enormous recovery. And in Oregon, you've seen home prices stay um, pretty amped up for a long time. Yeah, the, the house that I have now uh, is gaining value pretty good. Uh, actually, I'm in Vancouver, which is just on the other side of the river. Oh, so you Portland. brilliant man. You pay no state income tax, and then you cross the river to shop tax-free. Yeah, once in a while, yes. Um, and then that's why one of the reasons why I'm also going to Vegas, since they don't have any income tax in Nevada. Right. My question is, is I can stay where I'm at now, but my commute or going to work is a little more difficult now. 
if I moved down to Vegas, it'd be much better, probably, you know, way better than it is now. I want to keep my house in, in Vancouver, but I do want to move to Vegas right now. With the, like you said, the housing prices in Vegas is a little on the high side. And I'm thinking, should I use the money I have now and pay maybe half down on a house and have a mortgage? Or if I wait maybe another three years, I'll have enough to just pay the whole house uh, cash. Well, I have a and whole then, different answer that, that is not about money. Mm-hmm. And that is, you're talking about such a radical lifestyle change going from Vancouver, Washington to Las Vegas that I would prefer that you consider renting at first in Vegas because you may get there and think it's what you want and you're like, what was I thinking? And if you buy well, a place... Before, though, so. Oh, I've you've lived there before? Years before? Yeah, so I'm well aware of uh, that. And matter, matter of fact, it was the last uh, housing bubble that I sold my house right prior to the bubble bursting in Vegas. Wow. So, okay. And then moved up here to Vancouver. So uh, what you're telling me is that you don't need a casino. You know how to have good luck anyway. <laughs> uh, so far, but, you know, who knows what happens in the future. Yeah. So if you're in a position to pay half the cost of a house because you're such a uh, good manager of your funds, I would pay half the cost of a house, have a smaller mortgage, and go ahead since you know the area, you know what you're getting into moving to Vegas, I would go ahead and do that. And because you'd be borrowing a relatively small amount of funds and you don't want to stay in debt long at all, I would go for the shortest term mortgage you can go for. And there are a couple of ways to do that. Your intention is to be fully mortgage debt-free in just a few years, even if you bought now. Is that what I followed? Yes. So you could take out something I normally don't recommend, but in your case it would be suitable, and that's doing a 5-1 arm where you'd have a fixed rate for the next five years and then floating after that with the intention that you'd have it paid off in those first five years but what you'd be obligated to pay each month would be based on what the payment would be on a 30-year mortgage. My stronger instinct would be for you, since I can tell you hate debt, correct, right? Yes. Yeah, so since you hate debt, is go to a credit union in Nevada and take out an ultra-short mortgage, like a 10-year mortgage. They carry much more favorable interest rates. If you pay it off well before 10 years, fine. And the monthly payment would not be a burden on you having paid half the money down. Right. So one of the the concerns I have is, uh, like you were talking about the housing cycles, you know, there's, I've been reading about a possible, like a recession coming up in 2020, maybe. Oh, we'll have recessions, but how long are you going to own the home? Well, this would probably be my last one I'm looking for prior to me retiring. So you'd live there a number of years. Mm-hmm. So you don't worry about economic cycles in that case, especially with you putting a substantial amount of money down. You can ride through cycles. The price of the house I'm looking at is, is pretty high for Vegas, even though I'm putting half down. 
that's okay. That's okay. You are eliminating the risk that you're in a position that you have to sell or anything like that. And I would feel comfortable putting half down and being on an accelerated schedule to pay it off. And really, who cares if in the short term the values moderate or fall or whatever because you're in a long-term play and so the short term is not significant or meaningful for you. Anita is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Anita. Hello, Clark. I am thrilled to talk to you. Well, great to have you here, Anita. You brought up a subject a while back about having a second credit card. Now, I have been with this company for 35 years. I am 76 and retired. And the interest rate is 7.9 on my card. Plus, I get 1% back of what I spend. So do I really need to have a second card? You are, you are at a point in your life, you're not going to be taking out new loans, I'm gathering. Nope. You're, you're nope. done with all that stuff, right? Absolutely. I would still like for you to have a second card in case anything happened that the that the company you have the first card from chose at some point they didn't want you anymore or something like that. Maybe it would never happen, but I still like the idea of you having a second card. My ex-husband and I actually started with this company 50 years ago when he was in the service. Oh, and is this USAA? divorce. Pardon? Is this USAA? You bet. Yeah, because... thing going. I didn't know by what you said if we were talking Navy Federal or USAA or PennFed or what. So USAA is obviously a fantastic organization, and you have this card with them. You've been with them forever. It, It doesn't mean you don't like USAA if you get one other card from somebody else. I mean, you barely even have to use the other card... It's just kind of like taking out a little insurance policy. Uh, maybe USAA would never say that they don't want you anymore, Anita, but <laughs> what if they did and you suddenly don't have the card anymore? Okay. So, I understand. So, I, I get your drift, and I will certainly look into it. And are, I are, you a Navy you fed- are you call. a Navy Federal member? Uh, no. Oh, no. Any credit union? Uh, there's a credit union in Tulsa, more than one, obviously. I could go to that. Yeah, I think that's fine. And, then, and wherever you, uh, do you bank with USAA or do you bank with a local bank in Tulsa? I use a local bank for checking, and then I have an account that I can do online for my savings, and I transfer the money from there to my credit card. Well, then uh, maybe monthly. the right answer is with your local bank in Tulsa, you get your second card. And that's kind of like your backstop card, your backup card. They know you, you know them. Maybe that would be the best. Rose is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Rose. Hi, Clark. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, Rose. You are somebody who loves deals like I do. (laughs) I do. My husband and I just really, really love to travel. We saw today a sale to Maui for 424 round trip. Would you grab that or would you wait? So 424 round trip to Maui. Do you live in the eastern part of the country or the west coast? On the eastern part. Grab it. Grab it. And we are going to have 
airfare deals to Hawaii for months and months to come because all the airlines that fly to Hawaii right now are trembling with fear because Southwest Airlines has announced they're going to fly to all four major island destinations in Hawaii. And so everybody's really worried because wherever Southwest goes, they take a certain amount of market share. And so Hawaii has gotten steadily cheaper through the year. And I think there may be like a serious fare war once Southwest actually announces their start dates and sells tickets. But if you're getting a fare of 400 and something from the eastern part of the country to Hawaii, I'd grab it. All right. My next question was this. You had said a few months back you could deal where you could fly to Providence or Rhode Island for $20 and then go from there to Shannon Ireland for 173 My husband heard it. We grabbed it. and We actually flew up to Providence and spent a day there and then went up to Boston and went to the John F. Kennedy Museum and then flew over to Shannon. And I've seen your, you know, your travel booking and planning guide, but I feel like, for instance, if I just want to go to Ireland, whatever, but I do the, you know, uh, kayak and the Google Maps, it, it always shows like from the southeast, but I would be willing to fly even like to Chicago for $39 and then to anywhere in Ireland for a deal. Is there any way to do that just to say if ever something like that pops up? Well, you can set up alerts like for Ireland. You want to set up alerts uh, principally from New York and Boston. Okay. Because of the enormous Irish population travel back and forth from those two. My, it's interesting you mention Ireland because my brother, who lives nowhere, he and his wife are retired. They just travel the world. They just did an ultra-cheap fare from uh, Newark to Dublin because there was this phenomenal deal, and they were actually going on a cruise out of Amsterdam, but that was the cheapest way for them to get across the Atlantic to Europe. And then they took Ryanair once they got there. So if you're looking for the cheapest deals and you're going internationally, keep looking on Kayak Explore for fares available all around the world from Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, and Boston. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for tuning in to The Clark Howard Show today. And if you're like me, you like deals, we got our deal diggers hard at work at ClarkDeals.com that help you save money day in and day out. We work around the clock to find the best deals for your wallet. And they're on a variety of consumer items. Check out ClarkDeals.com.